all of this is going to be gone. We are entering into our reward. Eternal life with Jesus Christ. That is our goal, church. That's our hope. Amen. That's why Paul could say, These light afflictions which are but for a moment worketh in us an exceeding and eternal weight in glory. Praise God. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ is so much greater than anything we experience, any, any negative situation we face down here. Praise God. That's why we live for Jesus Christ. That's not the only reason. But that's certainly a good reason. Amen. Praise God. I am so looking forward to seeing my Savior. Seeing Him face to face. Not through a glass darkly. What an awesome hope we have. What an awesome hope we have in God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. You can be seated. Amen. I want to take some time to uh, recognize and welcome our guests. Uh, the Giras, always glad to see you guys. Amen. We're praying for you. Amen. Praise God. Uh, Brother and Sister Hoffman. Oh, good grief. In my peripheral. <laughs> Amen. I'll tell you about that joke. Uh, it sounds like they're going to be a part of our congregation. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. They're moving, they're moving from uh, Brother Jacob's church. Amen. Uh, they're going to miss them, uh, but we're, we're glad that they're here. Amen. Praise God. Continue to pray for the Giras and the Hoffmans. Amen. And if there's anything that you guys need, of course, put our people back there to work. They just sit back there, all service, not doing anything. Dude. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true at all. I know. I appreciate our, our greeters and our ushers. Amen. Praise God. I also want to thank uh, Sister Rudy, uh, who is in greeter today, <laughs> doing nothing. And uh, <laughs> and Brother Dumu, no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Sister Rudy and Brother Dumu, thank you so much uh, for filling in uh, when my wife and I were out of town this weekend. Amen. The Bible says, beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Praise God. And I, I, have, I have mad respect for anyone those size 83 shoes that Brother DeMuth has. Amen. Triple E's. <laughs> They're all beautiful. Praise God. Thank you so very much. I trust that uh, the people of God were blessed uh, in that service. Amen. Uh, so, uh, jumping off of what Sister Rudy preached on last week, uh, we're going to do a quick review. Uh, I wasn't here, but I did uh, listen to the messages, and I... Uh, I reviewed the lesson. Amen. So last week we talked about uh, two primary points. Uh, one, the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. It's not built on Peter the rock. Uh, it is built on the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He is the King of kings. He is God manifest in the flesh. Amen. The Almighty God, the Everlasting Father. That's Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah that came to deliver us, to save us from our sins. That's who Jesus is. 
The other point that was made is that Jesus came to build a church. That's not to say He came to build a building like that we're sitting in today, nice and warm and dry, but He came to build a body of believers. That is the church. You and I are the church. This building is not the church. It's a church building that we come to meet in, but it is not the church that Jesus came to build. You and I are the building that He came to build. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says this, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Amen. So the Word of God teaches us that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of this building that He came to build. The apostles and prophets, they've laid the foundation upon which you and I are built today. Amen. The building that He came to build is you and I. Our daily devotions. Uh, day 1, Matthew 16, 13-15 uh, records this. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I think that's an important question to have an answer for. And they said, some say that the word John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And that's where it kind of comes home, doesn't it? It's safe and easy to say what other people think about God. But then when we're confronted directly... Well, who do you think that He is? We've got to have an answer for that, folks. And there's only one correct one. Everyone has an answer to that question, even though it might be, I don't know. Some think He's a good man. Some think He's a great teacher. Some think He's a prophet. And all of those are true. He is a good man. He's a great teacher. He's a prophet. But all of those are absolutely irrelevant if He's not also God manifest in the flesh. If He's not also the Messiah that came to save us from our sins. All of those are all, there's all kinds of prophets that, that are recorded in Scripture. They can't save me. All kinds of good teachers. Gamaliel was a great teacher. He can't save me. But Jesus can. Who do you say that Jesus is? As for me, He's my Savior. He's God manifest in the flesh. Praise God. Day two. A cave at, I found this interesting. A cave at Caesarea Philippi was believed to be the very gate of hell itself. The entrance into the underworld. And they were at Caesarea Philippi. So is it possible, maybe it's possible, that that cave was in mind when Jesus was teaching the disciples that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. We've got to understand I know, I know we understand up here, but it, sometimes it's difficult for us to understand here and in the middle of the storm when it truly matters that Jesus is stronger, He's smarter, He's wiser, and He's better than any problem we'll ever face, any evil that we encounter, or any enemy that we'll ever meet. He's stronger than all of them. I know it seems in the moment when we're in the middle of the storm that that's a pretty big storm. That's a pretty big mountain. But God is so much bigger. And if we can keep that in focus, if we can keep that in mind, those storms are 
quite a bit easier to weather. Amen. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 says, Now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. He always causes us to triumph if we'll put our hope and our confidence in Him. If I'm trying to work through it myself, well, good luck. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe not. But if I put my confidence in Jesus Christ, it always works out for my good. Praise God. Day three, Jesus is our all in all. He's the only one who can meet all of your needs. He is our ever-present help in time of need. He is our exceeding great reward. I love that Scripture. My exceeding great reward. Absolutely. Absolutely He's a reward. Day four. It's not comfortable to allow Jesus to interrupt our schedule, our goals, our life, is it? When Jesus came to Peter that first time and just kind of crawled onto the boat and told him where to go. I don't know who you are. Do you have any experience at fishing? I've done this my whole life. I can imagine, and Peter, being Peter, I can imagine he had some kind of reaction to that. But nevertheless, he decided to go with it and see what happens. All of Peter's skill. All of Peter's knowledge and experience couldn't produce one fish. But Jesus went out there, just put it over here. It almost tipped the boat over. Can Jesus just walk into the middle of my dream, your dream, and redirect us somewhere else? Well, He, he certainly has the authority, but do we give him that authority to operate freely? That's the, that's the question. He's God. I mean, of course, he has the, inherently that authority, but we've got, for whatever reason, he's waiting for me to give him permission to exercise that authority. Are we giving him permission to do that? Can Jesus tell us to leave the comfort of shore and direct us out into the open water? That's a tough situation to be in. Everyone loved, Brother DeMuth talked about this, everyone loves change. We just love change. I hate being comfortable. Yeah, no one said that. No one has ever said that. We love comfort. We love routine. We love knowing what, that's why I hate starting a new job. I don't know anything. I like knowing things. I like knowing what I'm supposed to be doing, where I'm supposed to be going. There's a comfort in that, a comfort in routine. But can Jesus break that routine? Can Jesus direct me somewhere else? Who has the authority in my life? Is it God or is it me? I say it's God, but I act like it's me sometimes. I keep bumping Him off the throne of my heart and sitting down myself. I've got to leave Him with the authority in my life. Day five. I can imagine Peter's shock at the miracle of catching so many fish after all his experience came up empty. Not simply the magnitude of the event, but what the event meant. 
that this guy, this Jesus, he actually was the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied. I can imagine, because in a different way, but in some ways the same way, I've experienced this myself. Peter's worldview came crashing down around him. Everything he believed to be true. Everything he knew, everything he was comfortable with, wasn't right. Here's the Messiah right in front of me. He wasn't expecting that when he got up that morning. And he was undone. That revelation that Peter received caused him to declare, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What else are you going to say? How else are you going to respond to that? That's the response I had. That's the response you probably had when you came into the presence of the Lord the first time. Ran to an altar and wept and cried. But Jesus' response He looked at Peter and said, Fear not. Henceforth you will catch men. Not only did he condemn Peter, was it true? Yeah. He was a sinful man. Jesus said, Don't don't be afraid. You're going to be a whole lot better than you are now. You're going to be someone entirely different than you are right now. Today we are all made fishers of men. Fishing in the natural, I never got a a knack for it. I'm no good at it. Fish hate me. They smell me or something uh, because there's no fish around. Uh, By the time I'm a mile in, I get a mile close to wherever it is we're fishing, they're gone. So I entertain myself by throwing rocks at the bobbers and and making noise and stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> but Jesus said that we're going to be fishers of men, and Jesus makes us effectual in it. He hasn't blessed me with fishing skills, but He can use me to win a soul to Him. He can use me to introduce Jesus to someone else. Amen. And that's awesome. That is so awesome. Our Scripture text today is going to be found in Acts chapter 4. We'll start reading at verse 13. We'll read for an hour and a half, all the way down to verse 35. (laughs) It's the Word of God. It's always good, right? Acts 4, beginning with verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is referring to the Sanhedrin, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I imagine not. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported that all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. The spirit of unity is a beautiful thing. And said, Lord, Thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of Thy servant David hast said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth, against Thy holy child Jesus, whom Thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the pieces, prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Amen. After the miraculous day of Pentecost, the number of Jesus' disciples ballooned from 120 in Acts chapter 1 to 3,120 in Acts chapter 2. That is rapid church growth. These two chapters set a precedent for how faithfully practicing the ordinary can lead to extraordinary moves of the Spirit. Let's say that again. These two chapters set a precedent for how faithfully practicing the ordinary can lead to extraordinary moves of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples met together to pray frequently. They also determined to fill Judas' vacant position as a disciple. They nominated two candidates and prayerfully cast lots, (laughs) akin to our flipping a coin. Essentially, the church had their first business meeting in Acts chapter 1, where they selected a new disciple for the first Pentecostal church of the New Testament. These seemingly ordinary events led to the supernatural outpouring of God's Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The same precedent can be seen at the end of Acts chapter 2. After the day of Pentecost, Luke recorded, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. We're going to break bread here in a little bit. After a tremendous revival, the new Christians devoted themselves to ordinary Christian practices as a community. But the outcome was far from ordinary. Luke reported miraculous wonders and signs, Acts 2.43. Supernatural compassion for each other, Acts 2.44 and 45. Believers volunteered their money, property, and other resources to the community of faith and to those in need. All this happened as a result of faithfully practicing the ordinary disciplines of worship and fellowship, 
within the newborn New Testament church. Their faithfulness attracted God's attention and blessing. Acts 2.47 reads, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. The result of the ordinary practices of prayer, fellowship, and worship, along with extraordinary miracles and ministries, was salvation regularly extended to others. Such was the humble but powerful beginnings of God's Spirit-filled, Spirit-led church. Amen. We're going to dive more into that idea here for the remainder of our time together this morning. The disciples ministered to others and operated in the miraculous. We know that. We have all kinds of records in the book of Acts, even in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus commissioned them to go out, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, freely ever receive, freely give, while they were preaching the Gospel. Amen. We've talked at length about that. They go hand in hand. Preaching the Gospel means that God will confirm His Word with signs following. Acts chapter 3 details the account of Peter and John ministering to the needs of a crippled beggar. We understand from this account that the the beggar was expecting some money. That's what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for a healing. He didn't wake up this morning filled with faith and confidence in God that I'm going to get a healing today. There is no record of that ever being in existence. He was sitting there like he probably always was, trying to earn some kind of a subsistence from the the charity of others. Because as a a cripple, they didn't have OSHA, and they didn't have uh, handicap accessible stuff back in the day. If you couldn't do it, you couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. So he was depending on the charity of others. Peter and John approached him. They didn't have any money, but such as they had, they gave. They gave him Jesus. They gave him the power of God. And God manifested that power wondrously in this man's life by healing him. He got up and started walking around. After that miracle, Peter was able to preach to the crowd because of the miracle that took place. Big crowd gathered. He's walking. What's going on? Peter said, I know what's going on. Let me tell you what's going on. Jesus is going on. And he preached Jesus to them. This is the difference between inviting someone to church and bringing church to someone else. Now we're going to explore that idea and I want to make absolutely clear, don't stop inviting people to to our worship services. Continue to do that. But, what we really should be doing, when we're inviting someone to church, where's the church? Where's the church building? Yeah. I'm the church building. When I'm inviting someone to church, I'm inviting them to me. Oh, we should be inviting them to Jesus. Yeah, but how are they going to see Jesus? They're going to see Jesus in me first, right? I'm demonstrating Jesus to them. You're demonstrating Jesus to them. You're the first Jesus people are going to see, folks. So we're inviting them to us so that they can meet Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're inviting people to church. 
We're the church. Absolutely, we want them to come and worship with us. I love getting together with the people of God. I love worshiping with the people of God, praying with the people of God. Absolutely, we're going to keep doing that. We're not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, especially as we see the day approaching. We're not going to do that. We're going to continue to gather corporately. But, I'm the church. You're the church. It's okay to minister outside. We've heard this from Brother DeMuth, Sister Rudy, others. We've got to take it to them. And that's so true. And speaking as an introvert, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be threatening or, or, or weird or anything like that. Let me tell you what's going on at work right now. I haven't told anybody anything, okay? I'm just showing up trying to work. They found out I was a pastor. Well, yesterday, uh, the rough-looking guy that I, I was telling you about, he called me over, and he's like, because we, we, we talked a little bit ago, a few days ago, and uh, so he called me over, and uh, he's talking to some other people, and he's like, they don't believe you're a pastor. I'm like, surprise, I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, wow, I, we didn't know that. And so we were talking about and he's, I mean, he's excited about this. I, I don't know why, but, but he's an extrovert. He'll talk your ear off. I think he'd give you a run for your money, Brother DeMuth. <laughs> and I say that because I love you. I, I respect that gift. But, but, I mean, he's like that. He'll, he'll talk about anything. He'll do it all day long. I mean, it's amazing. And it's interesting. He's, he's very popular amongst our coworkers. And he's excited about this. And he's telling people. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I've been praying for this. I've been praying for an open doors of opportunity. Because I'm not gifted like Brother DeMuth is. I can't just come up to someone and start talking. I can talk, but it doesn't make sense. I'm like, yeah, that, that looks really cool. What do you think about that? I can't carry a conversation to save my life. But this guy can. And he's excited about this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm expecting great things are, are going to come of this. And I'm going to keep praying. And, and so, again, as an introvert who, who's not gifted in that, it doesn't have to be scary. They're coming to me. That's perfect. That fits right in with my giftings. I can deal with that. I can, I can run with that all day long. But trying to, trying to open that myself... I've tried, and it is, uh, yeah. here's the fruit of all of that right here. <laughs> Nothing. Zero. But when God does it, when God uses me, when God uses you according to your giftings and talents, amazing things happen. So it doesn't have to be weird. We can take this out to others. We can take this outside of uh, the physical building. And we can be the church that God is building. Amen. We can manifest that in the lives of others. And it's so awesome. It's so exciting to see what God does when we give a situation into His hands. After this miracle and the subsequent message that, that Peter preached afterward, the church grew by 5,000 people. 5,000 people. That didn't happen in someone's house. 
That didn't happen in, in the church building. That happened right out there. We are the church that we're inviting people to. The disciples were determined to testify of Jesus. They seemed pretty determined. Continuing on with the account, this revival service got the attention of the political leaders. How about that? (laughs) The same political leaders who got Jesus stuck to a cross. The same political leaders that sought with all of their energy, all of their mental acumen, to destroy this message. To destroy what Jesus came to do. I can imagine Peter and John must have been thinking, or at least it crossed their mind, what are they going to do to us? They killed Jesus. What could they do to us? Didn't seem to matter, though. If they were thinking that, Peter testified boldly to the Sanhedrin, preaching Jesus to them. Told them straight up, you're the ones that killed him. Wow. I know we like to, when we're talking about witnessing to people, we, we kind of want to be a little bit temperate and a little bit easy. They weren't very easy. They preached it straight. You killed Jesus. You killed the Messiah. The one that was prophesied to come. All the Old Testament Scriptures that you love to quote, you killed them. Their response, of course, was a political one. Being political creatures, they were weighing the pros and cons. What can we get away with? How can we work this? I'm sure they wanted to kill these guys too. I have no doubt of that. It doesn't say that in the Scripture, but I have no doubt in my mind. If they could have, they'd have thrown them in prison and executed them. But they couldn't. They feared the people. They knew a miracle had been done. They couldn't deny it. They even testified in their council together that a notable miracle has been done is plain for all to see. We can't dispute it. We know that a miracle has been done here. Okay? Who does miracles? Peter and John? No, God does miracles. They understood that. They understood that only God can do a miracle. So, you would think that would be enough, right? No. Not even close. Because they knew already that this wasn't the Messiah. They had already figured that out. And so, their worldview couldn't fit that knowledge in. They just kicked it to the curb. I can't deal with that. I can't assimilate that. So, we get a workaround. When you talk to people today, maybe you were in this spot. They're in the same boat, different worldview, but they've got things figured out. They know truth. And so when you confront them with something that contradicts that, it's hard for them to assimilate. Just understand that. God can break that down. God can convict of sin. He can break up fallow ground all day long. God can save He saves with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. 
So they did the best they could. They commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. Just bury it. Throw it under the dirt. We know a miracle's been done, but we can't let it out. We can't let people know about it. So let's just cover it up. Unreal. Absolutely. What a scary place to be. You know a miracle had been done. But you can't attribute it to God because it was done in the name of Jesus. And you know Jesus isn't God. You know Jesus isn't the Messiah. So, I don't know what alternative they were left with. But in any case, they decided just to bury it. Acts 4, 19 and 20 records Peter, Peter's response, Peter and John's response. They answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now this is an excellent example of uh, spiritual authority being acted out. The idea of God's authority. We are to submit ourselves to secular authority whenever we can. We see that Peter and John submitted themselves to a trial. When they were commanded to go before the Sanhedrin, they showed up. We don't have to. We're doing God's work. Uh, They didn't say that at all. They submitted themselves and they went, to, they went to trial. I have no doubt that if they were sentenced to prison, they would have submitted to that. We see in other accounts in the book of Acts where Peter did. He went to prison. <clears throat> but when they were commanded to stop preaching and teaching Jesus, that was too much. Now they have a higher authority they need to adhere to. We are to submit ourselves to secular authority when it doesn't directly contradict Scripture. That is the the principle that's laid out for us in Scripture. I don't like it any more than a lot of you guys do. But I don't have to like it. I just have to do it. I just... Submission is not agreement. That's absolutely correct. I don't have to agree to submit. I'm going to try to do both because it's God. I know God's right. I know He's right. And if I'm contradicting Him, then I'm wrong. So I need to line up with that. I'm going to submit myself to secular authorities whenever I can. Until they tell me to stop doing what God commands me to do, I'll submit. But at that point, I can no longer submit. I must do what God tells me to do. The church prayed and cared for one another. There was a community of believers, not a bunch of individuals flying around doing their own thing. Like, for example, in the United States today. A bunch of people off doing their own thing. There was a community of believers during their prayer. Uh, they quoted the first two verses of Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. That was the psalmist speaking that. They saw the utter impotence of the Jewish rulers. Now, in, in the secular, they had all, well, as much authority as they could have under Roman rule. But they, had a, they had a huge measure of authority, definitely in spiritual matters. Because the Romans, they really didn't want anything to do with the Jewish religion. You got matters concerning that, you see to it. Roman law then will step in. 
But they gave, they gave them quite a, quite a measure of, of, of authority when it came to their spiritual matters. Now, they still couldn't execute. We saw that in the Gospels. But they had a, they had a good measure of authority. But they recognized its absolute impotence in the face of Jesus Christ, who has all power, who has all authority. He is sovereign. Now, it's hard, it can be hard, to recognize that fact. When the rulers are coming down on us, I'm still praying that we never see that day. It's got to come eventually. It's in Scripture. It's got to come someday. Jesus is going to come back someday. I do want Jesus to come back in my lifetime, but at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go through all the junk preceding that. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to go through it, I think, as much as I can be. I don't want to. But in Jesus' name, I'll be ready if, if that time comes. But I'm praying, no, let there be revival in the United States. Let this thing turn around again. <clears throat> but if it comes, the authorities are coming, going to come banging on our door. They may lock those doors. They may hunt us down and throw us in prison. They are going to exercise a lot of authority against us. Secular authority. They are in other countries today. Right in this present moment. Government authorities are banging down doors, throwing people in prison, executing Christians simply because they believe in Jesus Christ. I can't expect that we're going to be exempt from that either. I just, I just can't believe that. But in the midst of even that, recognizing that they're absolutely impotent, except that Jesus allows them to do some of these things for a reason. Now, trying to understand what the reason is, you may get your, your brain all twisted up trying to do that. I don't know. You can try to figure it out. Uh, I don't think I'm going to try. I'm just going to trust in God. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep putting my faith and confidence in Him. And someday, I'm going to say with the Apostle Paul, these light things which are but for a moment, such a little price to pay for everything I'm about to receive. Amen. The secular authorities have no authority over us. Jesus said this to, to Pilate. You could exercise no authority against me unless it were given to you of my Father. They cannot exercise any authority against a child of God unless it's given to them by God. And if it's given to them by God, I trust Jesus. I trust God. Whatever happens, I got my, my life is in His hands. But recognizing that they are impotent, they have no power or authority except God gives it to them. And He remains sovereign. doesn't always seem like it in the middle of that, but He is sovereign. He has everything under control. They were bound together in the spirit of unity. We saw that a couple times. They were one. They were one body of believers. They ministered to one another's needs. 
they had become a close-knit community of like-minded believers. I'm probably getting ahead of myself again, but one of the things that attracted me to the church that I first started going to, initially it was the, the powerful presence of God. That's what I was looking for my whole life. I'd found it. This is where I need to be. But after that, it was a community of believers. I had a community of believers that came around me, started praying with me and for me, developed a relationship with me. We hung out not just in church. We hung out at the restaurant. We'd go out. We hung out together. It was a beautiful thing. <clears throat> now, maybe it was a different time. Maybe it, was, it wasn't that long ago. But uh, I know that things just keep getting busier and busier and more and more hectic. And time is such a precious commodity nowadays. But I just think that relationships and, and community is... It ought to be more important than having a little bit of free time. Especially today. I can't remember. I see statistics every once in a while about our present generation relationships that they have. They're all online. Most people today have no close friends. None. They have acquaintances. They have friends on well, not Facebook anymore. That's old people app now. Uh, Instagram and Snapchat. They have they have a bunch of followers and friends on there, but is that someone I can confide in when when things are falling apart around me? Is that someone I can count on if I need help in a time of need? No, they're not going to be anywhere around. I need someone. Close. I need someone that I have a relationship with, that someone has a relationship with me. And I think those are worth investing time and energy in. Especially the people of God. When someone comes into our church building for the first time, they ought to experience a sense of community, that this is a family. And I think, I think, I think people do. Every, every visitor that I've asked has said, what a friendly group of people this is. That you guys are so friendly. And I appreciate that. I thank you for that. <laughs> Why wouldn't we be friendly? Why wouldn't we be uh, encouraging and, and, and try to, to strengthen one another? Their prayer does not demonstrate an individualistic type of Christianity like we see oftentimes in the United States. There was a prayer going around a while ago, the prayer of Jabez. Anyone remember that? Churches were praying it. Enlarge my border. Bless me indeed. Fair enough. But again, that's, that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about here. There's no community in my border. Blessing me. 
What about my brother? What about my sister? What about my family? My ministry? Their prayer demonstrated a desire for God to strengthen the community, the body of believers as a whole. They understood that their ability to testify and share the gospel was not based on individual merit or ability, but on the health of their community, the church as a whole. The church as a whole has the responsibility, not any one individual. No big eyes and little U's in the kingdom of God. I've said this from the very beginning, and I'm, I'm so passionate about that. We need everybody. Everybody is important in the kingdom of God. I don't care what your ministry is, what your gifts or callings are. I don't care if you're young, old, in between. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is what God called you to do is important. Otherwise, He wouldn't have called you to do it. Does that make sense? God's not just trying to fill, find something for you to do. He doesn't need to do that. If He's called you to do something, it's extremely important. You've got to be about your Father's business. I've got to be about my Father's business. Because it's important business to be about. The church as a whole is what's important. Not the individual. Going into the idea of a body. We understand that there are different parts of a body. The eye sees. My feet carry me around. Or at least support me. I guess my legs carry me around. My heart pumps blood. My lungs breathe air. I can't walk on my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I can't see with my feet. But both are important. They're both important. If I didn't need feet, I think God wouldn't have given them to me. And if one part of me If one part of me is, is halt or, or doesn't work, the whole body suffers. Some of you are going through physical ailments of various kinds. One part of the body, the whole body suffers because of it. Those things are important. They're all important. And so... If you're feeling like, well, God didn't call me to preach. God didn't call me to, to be a world-renowned evangelist, so why even bother? He didn't call me to be a world-renowned evangelist either. Thank God. I couldn't do that. I, he didn't give me the, the tools for that. He gave me the tools for this. He gave you the tools for something awesome, something important. It's important. And it's important to bind together as a body. As a whole body. And minister as a body. The early church's emphasis on community over the individual is clear in how believers shared hearts and minds as well as money, property, and food. 
Don't worry. I'm not going to get too deep into that part. Although I could. When the church service was over, they didn't simply return to their homes, live their lives as individuals until next Sunday service. We see them meeting house to house, breaking bread, having fellowship. All through the week. All through the week. What an amazing, what an amazing group to be a part of. I have, I've talked to my wife about this, the Amish community. I don't agree with everything that they, they practice, for sure, but, man, their communities are amazing. When they have barn raising stuff, everyone comes and helps them. And then when they're done with there, they go to the next one. Everyone helps do that. They have these big community get-togethers and, and people cook big meals and, and they all get together and they, I mean, it's, it's a community. The United States used to be like that. It's been a while now, I think, but it used to be like that. We used to be community-minded. You shake hands with someone and that's, that was as good as the contract because we knew, we know each other. I know you're good for your word. But it's not like that anymore. The church has to be something different. The church cannot model what they're doing out there. This needs to be a community. It needs to be a tight-knit community of believers. When someone comes in, they've come home. They've come home to family. And now they're a part of our community too. Amen. What a different experience that is. Again, as an introvert, I don't make connections that easy. I come into a place and I don't know anyone. It's hard for me to just walk up to someone, Hey, how you doing? I'm Rob Becker. When they're coming to me and they're excited that I'm there, that, that's a whole different ball game. Now I feel like I'm a part of this, this group. I feel like I'm amongst family. And that's amazing. And that's so necessary today. Because it, it's not out there anymore. Communism versus the church. Okay, I'm going to touch on this. This is essentially communism, right? Commune. At least on paper. It's, uh, it's what the communists purpose to, to uh, believe in, to exemplify. And again, on paper, everything looks good on paper until you put people in, in the mix. And then it falls apart. But, when you get a body of believers together, filled with the Holy Ghost, submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in His direction, it does work. It does work. Maybe more on that later. <clears throat> the community of faith rather than the individuality of faith is a major part of what makes Christianity a powerfully transformative experience. Again, it was never God's design. It was never God's desire to send one person out 
And they'd be the, they'd be the rock star. That was never God's intention. God's intention was to build a body of believers. Everyone would have their gifts and callings. My body is made up of millions of different cells, different kinds of cells. I'm not a single cell organism. That would be gross and that would be weird. A church built on one person is gross and it's weird. church is built on all of us. All of us are the church. It's built on the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. But we are the church. All of us. All of us together make up the church. The miraculous is still available to the church today. Now, we understand that. We have no problem with that. But there are many denominations uh, that they would look at you funny if you say that. The spiritual, theological words are cessationism versus continuationism. Cessationism means that miracles ceased with the apostles. <clears throat> this is something that was forwarded initially by John Calvin. It was reasserted by a Reformed theologian, B.B. Warfield. Uh, I've, I've read a few of his things. He's an older gentleman, not, not with us anymore, uh, but uh, <clears throat> Reformed. States that the gifts of the Spirit as listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 have ceased. Continuationism is the opposite. It asserts that the gifts of the Spirit have continued uninterrupted since the day of Pentecost. Now, we don't need those big words to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are still available for us today. They are available if we'll seek after them. Historically, when people cease from seeking after the gifts of the Spirit, they're not found. When people start seeking after them, they appear again. It's amazing. When Christians began seeking the gifts of the Spirit during the latter half of the 19th century, they appeared, they started manifesting. When people sought the Holy Ghost in 1901, it fell. <clears throat> it's in there. There are all kinds of things in there waiting for us. Waiting for us to claim. Waiting for us to receive. If we would just go after it. If we would just pursue God. We are not to forsake gathering together for worship and prayer. The book of Acts contains a template for an apostolic church and the knowledge, practices, and structure needed to sustain it. Okay, now we understand that specific things do change over a period of years. Uh, we understand that we face different things today than the first century church faced. We understand that. Nothing about COVID-19 in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, or 5. Nothing about online services. Anywhere in there. Uh, so we understand that, that there are specific things, but the principles, the principles that are outlined in Scripture are eternal. We ought to follow the principles even if the form changes from time to time. 
The principle is community. COVID-19 especially sought to destroy that. A lot of churches closed down. I think this church closed down for a time. Uh, Eau Claire Church closed down for a time. Uh, and it went all online. But that's fine. Online works. I prefer this. But in a pinch, online works. But no matter what happens, and no matter what it takes, we must never allow anything to disrupt our community of faith. We cannot allow that. We cannot allow anything to to divide us, to come between us. We cannot allow anything to disrupt uh, gathering together. If it has to be virtual, then let it be virtual. But we've got to come together. We've got to be unified as one body. And we've got to have that community of faith. Because we're all important. We need relationships, one with another. We need that. We weren't built for anything else. We weren't built to to be an island. We've got to have relationships with my brother, with my sister. I need you. We're called to care for one another and minister to others. In Acts chapter 6, the needs of the community became so great that the apostles appointed seven individuals to distribute food to those in need. Note that they did not choose between advancing the gospel and caring for the physical needs of its community. They continued ministry on both of these important fronts. Now, there is such a thing, the the term is social gospel. Anyone know what that means? The social gospel. Yeah, it means that that we we take care of the poor, we take care of the needy, uh, and that's it. We don't preach salvation, we don't preach repentance, uh, we just take care of needs. Now, the needs are important to take care of. Scripture tells us this. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There's two parts to that. The first part is physical ministry, taking care of physical needs. Amen. The church ought to be taking care of physical needs. I understand the government is stepping into that along with everything else. I get that. Welfare and, and all of these programs, and they're good programs uh, until they're abused. I have no problem with, with taking advantage of them in a time of need, but living off of them, I don't think that's what they're there for. But anyway, the church originally was supposed to meet those needs. A body of believers gets together and gives sacrificially to the needs of others. And when they do that, God provides for us. It's awesome how God has it set up. So we want to continue doing that while at the same time preaching the Gospel. Preaching repentance, water baptism, infilling of the Holy Ghost. That is also necessary. Now, It could be argued, and I think rightly so, that everlasting salvation is more important than than grabbing a burger. I think that's why I'd rather be saved and starved to death. Okay, But they're both necessary. They're both important. We are commanded to, and we should do both. Amen. Enough on that. We want to maintain doctrinal integrity, 
and keep the influence of the world out of the church? Absolutely. But we must also be a blessing and a minister to those who are in need. Physical and spiritual. Jesus meets every need, right? Where should anyone come to get any need met? The church. You and me. That's where people should come to get their needs met. Physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. They're all met in Jesus Christ. And this doesn't only apply to our community of faith. It applies to everyone. We should be ministering to everyone. We should be loving everyone. Not just my brother and sister. Although I should love my brother and sister. Timothy Bowman, I don't know the man, but he's quoted as saying this, We are most like Jesus when we lose our ability to choose whom we love. We are most like Jesus when we lose our ability to choose whom we love. We just automatically love everybody. Because Jesus loves everybody. Amen. Helping to fulfill the purpose of the church. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The early church didn't see preaching as more valid, necessary, or important than food distribution. They saw it as being on the same level. I know. Think about it. Absorb it. I had to. That rubbed me wrong. Now again, I would say that if I had to choose one, I'd rather be saved than eat a burger. I'd rather go to heaven and starve to death. But, as far as the ministry of the church is concerned, they're both important. Both ministries are important. And if one person is gifted in the ministry of food distribution, they have connections and contacts. Uh, the Hudson Church is doing an absolutely amazing job with this. They're busy. I think they have one day off, but every other day of the week, they, they're, they're distributing food like crazy. It's a wonderful outreach for them. But they, they've been able to make these connections with food distributors and, and, and grocery stores and stuff like that. But just an awesome ministry. Uh, if someone's gifted in that, man, run with it. Run with it. You can still teach a Bible study. You can still give them your personal testimony. God can use that food ministry to lead someone to Christ. Whatever gifts and talents God has given you, use them to the glory of God. Whatever ministry He's given you, do it for the glory of God. Amen. We need to understand that different people are suited for different tasks. Again, the eye can't do what the foot can do. The foot can't do what the eye can do. They're not supposed to. They were never meant to. No one expects my eye to walk me around. Nobody expects that. But yet, we expect some people to do things that they were never equipped to do. They were never, they were never called to do. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Every one of us ought to be doing what we were called to do. Does God know what He's doing or not? I hope He does. Because I don't know. 
I don't have the big picture. I hope he knows what he's doing. He does know what he's doing, folks. He absolutely knows what he's doing. When people encounter the church, I'm sorry, the church functions best when members are in the right place performing the tasks most suited to their particular callings. Amen. When the heart is pumping blood and the eye is looking out seeing and the hand is grabbing stuff, everything's great. Everything works beautifully and everything runs smoothly. When I'm trying to walk on my lungs and, and, and breathe with my foot, things don't work so well. And all the, when all the uh, God's children are in the right place in His body, doing what they're supposed to do, it's a well-oiled machine. And Jesus can do mighty things through that, through that body of believers. When people encounter the church, they should leave the encounter as if they have experienced the hands, feet, eyes, and heart of Jesus in action. Folks, we can't do this alone. We need each other to effectively fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission wasn't meant to be fulfilled by one person. It was meant to be fulfilled by the body of believers, of which we are a part. Amen. In conclusion, Stephen Hawking was a renowned modern scientist whose popularity has endured due to the inspirational nature of his life and his contributions to science. I think his contributions are sketchy. But uh, that's me. <clears throat> He's an evolutionist. Hawking was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease in 1963 at the age of 21 years old. He had just begun his graduate studies. Over time, Lou Gehrig's disease gradually paralyzed Hawking, which is true. That part of him is amazing. Although his intellect was strong as ever, his body struggled with essential tasks. He used a speech-generating device that responded to his finger and later his cheek once he could no longer move any muscles in either hand. Hawking accomplished more with his disabled body than many accomplished with their functional bodies. Despite his drive to overcome adversity, his struggle illustrated just how difficult it is to lose the function of one's body. <coughs> if the parts of the body of Christ are present but not functioning, the effectiveness of the church's ministry will not reach its full potential. There are a few reasons some parts may not be functioning. Some members may be overworking and not allowing other members to obtain competency in their specific ranges of functionality. Hands and mouths can both communicate. However, a mouth that speaks too often may not allow hands to be utilized when necessary. Also, a church may not value certain ministries equally. A church may not hold jail ministry and children's ministry at the same level of importance. But if they are glorifying God and working to make disciples for Him, they are equally valuable to the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Finally, members of a body may not be growing appropriately to perform their key functions within the body. Cancer is a form of growth in the body. Cancer grows when the DNA in a cell has been changed and replaced with contrary instructions. The results are a useless mass with no benefit and are ultimately a detriment to the entire body. We all understand what cancer can do. These cancerous parts of the body are removed to preserve the health of the entire body. When growth occurs contrary to the body of Christ's DNA, surgical removal through the Spirit of God may be the necessary remedy. Christians must grow by the Scripture, the influence of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the fivefold ministry. This ensures that all, all members of the body of Christ experience healthy growth, are utilized regularly, and develop competency within their unique range of calling 
and giftedness. If we have accepted the calling to be the church, we must acknowledge the need of every member of the body and incorporate each member into the life and service of the church. We must not allow churches to become dysfunctional, dis- disproportionate, or diseased. Let's be intentional about pursuing healthy communities of faith where non-Christians can experience the manifestation of Jesus within the body of Christ. Amen. It's so important, folks, for us to understand that we are a body. We are not a bunch of individuals running around doing our own thing. We're part of a whole. We're part of the body of Christ. And when we operate that way, God can do whatever it is He wants to do through us because the body is functioning as it was designed to function. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to pray in closing. Uh, As there's only one service, if anyone has any particular needs they'd like us to pray about uh, before we dismiss, maybe a bad way to say that because food is next. Yes, sir. Amen. Larry. Okay. There was someone our bishop wanted us to pray for too. I want us to pray for that. Ben Smith. He had surgery and uh, he's not waking up. So we want to pray for Ben Smith. Pray for Larry. Yes, sir. Pray for Kimberly. Amen. And Josh. All right. Is there anyone else? Yes. Amen. That would be amazing. I still got to give him his baptismal certificate. It's right here. Waiting for him. (laughs) Amen. Amen. We're praying. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Okay. Amen. Pray for Brother Shepherd. Praise God. There are several needs within our congregation. Uh, God knows them. Let's remember those. Amen. Let's pray for unity, folks. Pray for unity within the body of Christ. That each one of us would realize our giftings and our callings and be about our Father's business. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are so awesome. You are so wondrous. You're so glorious. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that Your people, those present within the sound of my voice, would receive the Word of God today. That I would receive the Word of God today. That we would be doers and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. That we would, uh, that we would strive for unity. Lord Jesus, that You would give us a spirit of unity in this congregation, in Your body. I pray, Jesus, that Your body would be healthy, that it would be strong. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that each individual would realize his or her giftings and callings, talents and abilities, ministries that You have called them to, and that we would be about our Father's business, that we would fulfill the place in Your body that You have called us to do. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, for these requests that have been brought before You for Larry, for Ben Smith, for... Uh, Kimberly and Josh, 
We pray for Michael. We pray for Brother Shepherd. We pray for the needs that are represented in this, in this body of believers today. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, that You are a prayer-answering God. I am so thankful, Lord, that Your covenant promises are yea and they are amen. Thank You, Jesus, that You are true. That You have all power and that You have all authority. We turn to You, Lord Jesus, the Lord our God, with these requests, these supplications, these petitions to You. Needs for salvation. Needs for healing. Needs for deliverance. Needs for provision. Needs for restitution. Whatever the need is today, Lord, that You would manifest an answer. That You would meet the need today. You are the one that meets our needs. You are the one that meets every need. We continue to hope in You. Trust in You. Our confidence and our faith and our, our, our hope and our trust is in You, Lord Jesus. And You alone. Thank You, Lord, for Your faithfulness to us. I pray, God, that Your hand would reach into these situations and that You would minister. That You would reach with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm to deliver and to save and to heal and to restore and to provide. Thou Most High God, let Your name be glorified. Let Your name be worshipped and magnified in this place. We give You glory and we give You honor because You do hear and answer prayer. We thank You, Lord Jesus, because You are faithful altogether. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship You. We are so thankful for You. Thank You, Jesus, that You are our God. Thank You, Jesus, that You have delivered us, that You have saved us for such a time as this. You have chosen us out. You have called us to these unique callings. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for Your love and for Your mercy and for Your grace. Thank You for the food that we are about to receive. I pray that You would bless the food to our bodies, bless those that prepared and provided these things, and I pray, Lord, that You would bless our time of fellowship together, that You would bind us together as one today. These things we ask in Jesus' name.